Welcome to Mac Geek Gab episode 924 for Monday, April 18th, 2022. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found. We take those. We try to answer your questions. We share your tips and your cool stuff found. Mix them all together into an agenda that we can all follow because the goal is that each and every one of us, all of us, me included, we all learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Otherworld Computing with all of their great stuff. We'll talk about some of those in depth in a minute. Uh, Truebill.com slash MGG, where you can stop paying for subscriptions and potentially save thousands per year. And Collide at Collide, K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG, where you can get device security that fixes all of the problems that plague your team. It's fantastic stuff. We'll talk more in depth about each of them in a moment. For now... Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is Jonathan Braun. And here in Paris, France, is uh, Pilot Pete. And if you're watching, I put uh, Michael Arment's comment on the bottom. Once again, welcome, gentlemen and Pilot Pete. Thank you, sir, for singling me out. There you go, uh, gentlemen and Pilot <laughs> Pete. Evidently, he doesn't know us as well. He, he knows, knows know you. Me. No, he doesn't know <laughs> us as well as he knows you. Well, there's I think that. that's the question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, lots of stuff to uh, to go through today. Some great quick tips and um, some cool stuff found. Kind of a, a standard show. The one thing that I do want to share, we sort of began slowly leaking this out last week. Uh, the first thing I did was I just put a link on the MacGeekUp.com website and some of you found it. And then I put a couple of tweets out and more of you found it. And then this morning, uh, as we're recording the show, even more of you have found it. MacGeekUp, we now have a Discord channel. I mentioned it was coming. It is here. And our Discord server, I should call it, with several channels. Well, really, just two at the moment that we can use uh, the Mac Geek Gab general channel for text. And then when we're doing the live show, we will stream the audio and eventually the video there. So you can go check it out. MacGeekGab.com slash Discord will redirect you to the correct place. And you can you can go from there. But it, it will be our home, not just when we are recording the live stream, but uh, it is our home the other 166 hours of the week as well. So join Chat with other, uh, other you know, other listeners and um, and and us too. We're all right there. So yeah, fun stuff. Really, really looking forward. Actually, it's already been great. Um, so yeah, there was a in fact. There was a question that came up yesterday in our email that uh, also had come up in Discord from me because I woke up yesterday morning to an alert that my Synology disk station was in. A state of reparations. And I was like, well, why is that? What's going on here? A drive had died overnight. One of my, guess what? One of my Iron Wolf drives died overnight. No great surprise mm. there. Yep. So uh, thankfully, <laughs> another Iron Wolf drive, because I evidently had one spare left, uh, took over as the hot spare that I had in the unit. So it is, uh, I think it's almost finished now as we're talking here. But uh, but that's all set. So I needed to order another drive. And one of you, I think it was listener Steven wrote in and said, just serendipitously timed. What are the best drives to get for your NAS? 
And uh, I told him I ordered an Exos drive, the Seagate Exos drive. That's that's what uh, certainly what I found to be the the most reliable. They have the better warranty and they're cheaper than the Iron Wolf drives, even though they're rated better. So I'm not I'm not exactly sure about that, but I wound up I have a I have a couple of 16 terabyte Exos drives. So when I ordered this one, I figured I'd pay a little bit extra and it was relatively inexpensive. I think it was like 320 for the 18 terabyte drive. So I grabbed one of those and that should be here, I think tomorrow or something. So that will become my new hot spare. Highly recommend having a hot spare folks so that when you have a drive crash overnight, the disk station can get right on repairing it. So I don't know. Yeah. If you guys have any thoughts on that, anything? No. All right. I got nothing, but I did, uh, I'll put a link at the bottom of the uh, video there. Okay. And I will, uh, we'll put a, put a link in the show notes. notes Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we do record these videos. Um, we, the show is an audio show and it will remain an audio show. I know we've said that many times and we will continue to say it, but, uh, we do record video and stream video when we record it live, uh, so that we can take these little snippets and, and chop them up and put them out there on YouTube for, uh, for you and other folks to, to get some benefits from, because we really do have a show where there's, it can be compartmentalized. So speaking of compartmentalizing, shall we go to our quick tips here? I'll start with, um, I'll start with, start with Chris. This is, uh, I, I, this is one of those things I had no idea even existed until I saw it. But uh, I saw Chris Heilman on, on Twitter shared that preview has a built-in zoom lens, uh, it, which is amazing to me. I had no idea that that this was even a thing. Uh, you hit the back tick on your keyboard, and the zoom lens in preview appears. So the back tick would, on most Apple keyboards, be in the upper left, just below the escape key, and uh, and then you get this little magnifier zoom lens that you can drag all over the screen in in preview, which is amazing <laughs> it's, there, there's like I, there are so many times when i need to like see something something and i wind up just hitting command plus 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 to zoom the whole thing in and then scroll around this sort of saves me from that so fun i'm just glad you talked about what the back tip was because i was hitting the back arrow button oh yeah that's fair yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yep yeah, no, the back tick. See, these are the things, the the ancillary things that we learn uh, either doing or listening to this show or more likely, uh, or at least for me, both where uh, where. Yeah, so that's it's good. I love learning things like this. Jose has a quick tip for us. He says, I wanted to uh, share something I've been doing recently to jot something down while on the go without having any open app. I simply bring up spotlight on my iPhone by swiping down on the screen from the middle. Okay. Yep. So iPhone search. And then I type the text in the field and then I take a screenshot. I found this to be faster than bringing up the notes app or the reminders app. That's a really fascinating way of doing this. Huh? Uh, He says, what makes this even quicker is that the cursor is automatically placed in the spotlight text field. Whereas in notes and reminders, I have to first tap the screen to activate some kind of text field. He says, of course, there's limited space in the spotlight field that can be captured by a screenshot. But for short text and little notes, it works great. Once I'm back home, I review the screenshots folder on my phone and parse the information accordingly. That's a really interesting hack, Jose. Uh, I never would have thought of that, but you're totally right. 
that I mean that's the you know it it it's the and fastest where you have way. to be quiet. You know, if you have to be quiet, that works. I I, I tend to use Siri. Hey, remind me to. Oh yeah. Do this or that. Right. Oh. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, fascinating, man. You do that in a movie theater. Someone's going to be like, "Hey." <laughs> <laughs> and for most people, a screenshot is accomplished by hitting the power button and the volume up button. Hmm. Fair. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, then I you have to hit done and show it to files or photos. It doesn't automatically save, right? Uh, no, it, if you... it will save if you ignore it, I think. Oh, it okay. will save, I believe. Yeah. And there's a screenshots album that I think it puts it into. Yeah. I think that started, I think you're right, John. I think that started in iOS 14. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Which makes, you know, Jose's little workflow a little easier because doesn't have to sort through all the pictures. He just sorts through, you know, the, the screenshots album and boom, there they are. Especially if that's what you use screenshots for, that's where they're going to be. So, all right, fun. I like it. Scott has a quick tip for us, I believe somewhere. Yeah. Um, what did I do with Scott? Yes. Oh, that's no, you. That's why I don't have it. It's yours, John. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So here's uh, something from Scott. Um, I use uh, I use the Safari reading list to collect all of my web reading. Quite often, I find something that I like in my RSS reader. I use Reader with a Feedly subscription, by the way, both highly recommended, or just browsing and put it in the reading list to read later when I have time. That's fine as far as it goes. What I like to do, though, is to keep the other PDF and text documents that I have to read for business in the reading list, too. It's easy to do. Just use the file, open to file menu item to open your PDF or text file. Once it's open in a Safari window, you can just add it to the reading list as you normally would. So that's creative. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I love these little... These little hacky things. This is great. Yeah, good stuff. That worked out well, John. You want to uh, you want to take us to Dominic? Yeah. So Dominic has one that I think uh, was for uh, for Pete. But um, uh, he says in MechaGab nine twenty three, you wondered whether iPad OS supports low power mode. Indeed, it does. Um, it's new with iPad OS fifteen, and it is mentioned a long way down on the iPad OS uh, features list. Um, unfortunately it's not, it's only available for certain models. And unfortunately the one that Pete was mentioning, the, uh, 2013 iPad, um, won't run. iOS. It wasn't 15. on there. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I I'm, I'm curious how many people out there are using low power mode on their iPads. I've, I've, uh, I've never found a need for it, but. But I mean, I like, you know, I, I am a sample size of one, so I'm largely irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, super relevant to me, but I've proven myself wrong many times in the past. So I'd love to hear uh, from you folks about that. So, yeah. Yeah. So he says, um, so you can either enable it in settings, battery, um, and yeah, I looked on my iPad, which is fairly new, and yep, it's there and it's off. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, the iPad has a, you know, whomping huge battery so exactly 
Yeah, although, you know, maybe on like a long plane ride where I'm going to be watching a lot of movies or something, may, maybe I I don't know what low power mode would help with in that regard because the screen's going to be on like the, the power hogs are going to be there. But who knows? Maybe maybe there's something to be gained from that. Yeah. And you can also toggle it in control center. Um. And also, the, this is common to uh, iPad and iPhone. Um, you'll get a pop-up when you get down to 10%, and there's also an option there to put you into low-power mode. Interesting. And oh. you'll know you're in low-power mode because the battery icon will be yellow. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had to do this with my phone sometimes, like if I'm going to the store or something, and oh, yeah. all of a sudden I arrive and and... You know, my battery's almost shot. Well, I'll put it in low power mode and usually make it. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Well, I've said, like, when I travel, I keep my phone in low power mode the whole time I'm traveling. And the trick to that is going into the shortcuts app and creating an automation because uh, what will happen is when your phone charges past 80%, it turns off low power mode, which is great because it figures, well, you don't need it anymore. Well, if I'm traveling and I want to maximize my power, I do need it or I at least want it. And so I have an automation in the shortcuts app that is triggered by low power mode being turned off and it has one action in it. And that is it turns low power mode on. So low power mode gets turned off for a split second and then my automation runs in the middle of the night while I'm asleep and the phone's charging, turns it back on. So I don't have to ref- I don't have to remember. And then when I usually when I get home, I just turn the the entire automation off. So it's just right there. Which is it's been handy, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. And the other advantage to that is uh, no data, uh, low low data, I should say, I guess, in the background. Background apps don't you aren't going to burn up your data if you're on the road, especially internationally. That's true. Uh, yeah, and eating up a lot of your data. And then the other thing I might mention is, uh, in order to find things in settings, when I go to settings on my iPad and or my iPhone, I will pull down the settings list just a little bit. So I get a search window at the top and then I type in the setting that I'm looking for. If you happen to remember the name of the setting, that's a lot better, but that's a lot easier way to find it than scrolling down through 70, 75, 80 apps. Yeah. Looking for that one setting. So one, one that's set how you, I get there. You mentioned that it will use uh, less data sort of as a byproduct of low power mode, which I think is, is correct. Uh, I haven't tested it, but it certainly makes sense that the background apps wouldn't be doing anything. Right. It doesn't upload photos and check your email. And right. Sort of there is also the ability to set low data mode uh, on your various connections. And you can do that for your cellular you know, data connection and also for individual Wi-Fi connections. So you can you know, maximize. Interesting. Your, I knew you could do it for di- Wi-Fi. I didn't know you could do it for your cellular. Yeah. I don't, I, I would pull it up on my phone, except I'm using my phone as a camera today. So I can't do right. that. Well, there's that. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. Hey, speaking of things that I have learned, uh, on a few recent episodes, I've mentioned that I don't quite understand the benefit of universal control as it relates to iOS devices. Cause I always said, well, if I'm going to have my, iPad next to my Mac and I want to be able to control my iPad with my Mac, why wouldn't I just put it in, you know, expanded desktop slash sidecar mode, right? And and just put my windows over there. And several people out there, uh, including Denny, but but you're not alone, uh, says uh, they use it when the iPad is their primary computer. 
And as soon as I, for me, my iPad is very much not my primary computer. So I was, I was, I had, you know, tunnel vision with this. But as soon as I started getting emails from all you saying, oh, yeah, well, my iPad's my primary computer. Sometimes I'm sitting at my Mac and it's was like, ah, ding, ding, ding. Right. Of course, you then don't want to hide your primary computer. You want to be able to control your primary computer. And that turns out is your iPad. So having the mouse and keyboard to be able to do that while you're using your ancillary device, a.k.a. your Mac, makes perfect sense to me. I just don't live like that. So I would never would have thought of it. And this is the thing I love about doing this show. So, yeah, I learned it's great. Makes makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, have you, do you, do you, you're, you're on the road more than any of us, Pete. Are you using universal control or sidecar on a, on the regular? You know, I'm not, okay. I, I, I can say in fact, never. And I'm, I've been intrigued the last several weeks by the discussion of, yeah. of doing that because I do have a, an iPad with me all the time. Right. Or, I mean, so. it, yeah, if you're, but the thing is your workflows are all, uh, founded on the, a one screen scenario, generally speaking. And they, so yes, the, I, th- uh, I think that's the difference. Yeah, it, it may be. But right. That's because um, yours were two until you figured out how to use two screens or three screens. That's and, fair. You know, <laughs> and it's like, oh, I've got all this real estate here. That's fair. I, you're right that I, mine were There's exactly a lot of times the same. That I would love to, you know, that I'm having to do uh, even even during this show. I, I find myself tabbing back and forth between browsers, yeah. and having that over there would be ideal. Yep. Yeah. You put the you could put like the Discord chat over there or whatever or, or whatever. You know. Yeah. It's super handy. I. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And for those that don't know what I was talking about, it uh, hit the hold the command key down and hit tab until you highlight the icon of the program to yeah. which you want to go and let go. And it will come up with that window. So it's an easy way to switch between applications when you have there multiple you open. Yeah, there you go. Listener Gary uh, shares a quick tip that is just good to bear in mind as iPhones in some U S states are um, now being able to house your ID for example, you you know there. I think there are five or six states now that your driver's license can be uh, displayed from your iPhone, and that is considered a, uh, a you know a, a legal way to present your ID. You don't need to have the the physical card. You can just do it on your phone, and and that's great, I, I guess. But listener Gary points out to us. He says, uh, you know, the Fifth Amendment protects passwords but if you it does not protect fingerprints eyes and face id at least not at the moment which means you may very well be giving authorities a device that has lots of personal information on it and that could be you know if you're handing it to them to show your your id it could be construed as permission to look at anything you've you've handed them which is on that device and then Theoretically, they could ask you to use your fingerprint, your eyes, your face 
to unlock this device if you haven't already. And who knows what the ID process is going to be like? Do you need to unlock it to show your driver's license? You know, that sort of thing. I don't know. Someone out there actually does know the answer to that question. It's it's not rhetorical, but, you know, so feedback. So you want to make it your splash screen then, so it remains locked. Well, it's yeah. not just a picture. That's the thing. It's right. like a boarding right. a pass. picture of your ID. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I get you. Yeah. So, so just bear that in mind that it, you know, that you you do not want to give any authorities customs tsa any of those your unlocked iphone it has there are there are too many stories that come out where that has wind, wound up going in a at the very least causing a uh long boring conversation that you did not schedule in your day uh so just, that'd be the good outcome exactly <laughs> and obviously the fingerprint ones are different. There is, there are a couple cases where identifying which finger unlocks it. So if you don't use your index oh. finger or something, is now giving not being required to give knowledge that's only in your head. And they 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 can demand that from you? No, I don't think. Oh. I think the case law is such that they can, you know, requiring a fingerprint, they can require. But as to which finger will unlock your phone. Is is they can't they have to guess that I got you. Yeah, right. So if you only use your right ring finger or your interest, you know, something like that. Um, And uh, actually, one that comes to mind is because I use it on the iPad all the time. If I try to use my thumbprint to open my iPad on the flight deck, it it won't open. I but I use the tip of my thumb. Oh, and so there's a different. Yeah. There. So when I set up my because that's the way I naturally touch it when I'm flying and God. I want to pull something. Up. Oh, so it has it has learned yeah. that that's you know, like your a, thing. Yes, like an approach. Plate. I, yeah, I taught it. My my thumbprint is actually that where we, the end of my thumb, not the not the pad of my thumb. Interesting. But I don't know that there's any case law with regards to your facial, you know, because you can require attention. For your yes. Face. Yes. Right. You know, right. Right. And am I is requiring attention? Is that not, you know, that's yeah, that's. You're right. You're they, right. I think that's a yeah. Because you're right. The the case law protects knowledge, not yes. physical attributes. That's correct. That's that's really what that boils down to. And that may well change. I, I mean, there. You know, as as our phones become, I mean, they really are like second brains for us or ancillary brains for us that we store so much and rely on it. And and this is what we what we should be doing with these things, right? They, there's no reason for me to know your phone number, Pete, right? Right. But when we were 12, I would have known your phone number. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no reason for that anymore. And so, uh, so we don't, we, but we have it on this device, but that's true of a lot of things. And we have this expectation of privacy with the data that we store there that used to just be data in our heads, and now that is not the case. I've there are certain passwords that I don't even store the actual password in one password. What I store is a code that tells me what the password is. So it'll be things like what's the what, what's one way I could do this? Ah, OK, so I could say, you know, I, I was uh, I don't think this is overly private information. But if it is, it doesn't matter. You know, it, uh, my my uh, my my birthday is is the 24th of September. Right. And so I could say uh, if if my password was uh, John 
24 Pete. Let's let's say I wouldn't store John 24 Pete. I would store uh, OG MG co-host birth date, uh, you know, uh, second MG co-host. Right. And that would tell me it's John birth, you know, 24 Pete. But I would never have typed that in there. And of course, I can be far more obscure with my notes than that, because that's something pretty much a lot of yeah. people could figure out. Right. But but those kinds of of mnemonic things to remind myself of, oh, this is this is what that means. And it might be, you know, if I want to do John 2424 Pete, well, then I could do, you know, MGG OG co-host uh, birth date, birth date you know, second co-host. Right. And so now I know, oh, I'm repeating the 24 thing. And there's a lot of these things that I just I, I do and I know. So I have passwords that even if you got into my one password, you would not be able to get uh, you would wow. not be able to log in. It's a thing I know you can't prove yeah. you can't force me to divulge a thing I know. And so let me tell you this. If you ever get dementia, you're hoved. Mm -hmm. That's that's true in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, that's true. (laughs) But er, earlier than most in that case. Yes, that's that's fair. Yeah. And these are um, these these are very specific passwords. Right. So uh, but yeah, otherwise, like my my wife knows how to get into my one password and like all of that stuff, which I I think is a really handy thing to pick someone uh that that can get in or or at the very least do the they have a a a, a, a recovery a, a recovery thing that you can yeah. you can print out and like put it in your your will or your safe deposit box or, or whatever so that yep. that information doesn't just go with you because that can be a major pain in the neck i i will tell you i had to go through a thing a few years ago with a family member who was uh unconscious a traumatic brain injury for months and getting it, you know, but we like their finances and their life and all of that still needed to happen. And guess what? You generally don't plan on, uh, you know, being in a coma with a TBI. And so right. there was no way to say, Hey, I'm going under the knife. You should know these four things about what needs to happen over the next month or whatever. You know, this was, you know, here's here's a phone call on a random Tuesday. Guess what happened? And sorting out all of that was super difficult. Thankfully, we were able to get the password for their Mac. And with that, I could see their iCloud keychain passwords. And that gave us enough to sort of scrape by with things. But uh, but yeah, man, like that pick somebody <laughs> somehow make that make that easier for other people for sure yeah all right well that that went in a weird direction yeah, yeah. No, on that happy note <laughs> on that happy note no but it like this is valuable information because it's these are the things you don't want to think about right and and then you're in a scenario and it's like oh hey huh okay uh so anyway we have lots of questions from you um, a couple of voice questions today, and I'll talk about uh, some some interesting things we're doing with those that we're experimenting with, I should say. But uh, let's see. The now, oh, the next thing I want to do is is talk about our sponsors. If that uh, if that timing works for you, Mr. Braun. Okay. All right. 
Everybody listening already knows that Otherworld Computing, our first sponsor here, is the place that John and I go first whenever we need to get stuff for our Macs, our iPads, our computing environments. The OWC Envoy Pro Electron, man, this thing, it's this tiny little portable USB-C SSD, fastest, toughest, mini-sized, universal, waterproof. You can get it from 240 gigs up to 2 terabytes. That thing's fantastic. Whenever I travel, and sometimes even when I'm just at home here, the OWC USB-C travel dock is a staple of my travel kit because it just does what I need. It's got five ports of connectivity, two USB 3.1 Gen 1 Type A ports, HDMI, an SD card, USB-C with power pass-through. It's what you're going to want. The OWC Thunderbolt Hub, that's sitting right in front of me here in the studio because it lets me take one Thunderbolt port and turn it into three more. It's amazing. I love this thing. And it's also got a USB-A port on the front. And the, the best part is about the folks at OWC is they know what they're doing. They understand their products. They know how to support them. They make them high quality so that they just work and they last. John just got some of their new OWC Thunderbolt cables. You got to go check this stuff out. Go to MaxSales.com to check all this and more. And our thanks to Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Collide at K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash M-G-G. Collide sends your employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Mac, Linux, and Windows devices, and it all happens right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations which care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable for your users, right? Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. At Collide, they know end users are IT admins' most significant untapped resources and are the key to solving the most challenging to fix security issues, including things like instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes, and teaching your end users how to store them securely, convincing your employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that might just sell their browser history. Those are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down devices. And you can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. Visit collide.com slash MGG to sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MGG. Enter your email when prompted to receive your free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. And our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. Do you really need all those streaming services now that you're not just locked in at home anymore? The pandemic almost required us to have 12 different streaming services. But now that, you know, you're back in the office and you're getting out more and you've watched every show available, what's the point of spending hundreds a month on streaming services you don't even use? Well, that's where our sponsor Truebill comes in. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. And on average, people save up to 720 bucks a year with Truebill. And because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You just link all your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one 
tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. I've been using this and it's amazing. It just works the way I've been telling you. You just connect your stuff and it figures out what you've got and it'll ask you, you sure you want this, you want that? And you say yes or no, and then boom, you're good to go. And it's not just me. Truebill has over 2 million users and has helped save them over $100 million. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash MGG. Go right now. Truebill.com slash MGG. It could save you thousands a year. Go do it right now. Pause the show. We'll wait for you. Truebill.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Truebill for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's uh, well, let's let ADD Todd lead us in here. Hi, guys. ADD Todd out of Orem, Utah here. Got an odd one for you. Back around February, I was trying to do some troubleshooting with the help of Apple, and one of the things they said I should do is network reinstall my OS, and it managed to not work at all. I'm running a, I believe, late 2009 MacBook. Its maximum upgrade is to High Sierra. For a while, my computer on SSD has been slowing down on the boot up. The reason I mentioned the crash is I took my original spinning drive and recloned it back to my SSD because everything was really messed up, and then did a restore from my backups. I did not have and did not make a bootable thumb drive to reinstall High Sierra and then reapply the APFS. The oddity is I have noticed over the past, I think, month, that it seems to be booting a whole lot faster back to its original fresh SSD install. Do you have any suggestions on what I might have done or changed that has allowed that? And do you think it'll start slowing down again? Keep up the good work. Keep having fun. Bye-bye. That's a good question. I um... I can answer the second question first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to start slowing down again. Thanks, Pete. That's super helpful. They, they do. Hey, it's what I do. <laughs> no, but you're not wrong. Like that it it's right. um there's you a lot of up. reasons that it could have gotten faster. You know, reformatting an SSD depending on what the SSD was and its garbage collection garbage collection uh you know, path and all of that. It, you may have been pushing up against a scenario where writes couldn't happen efficiently on the SSD. So doing that may have made a huge difference. It also could be that simply doing a, what effectively is a, a nuke and pave uh, wiped out a lot of the temp files and all of those things that don't, you know, migrate around. So I, 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 I mean, we always say that, a reinstall, even just an over-the-top reinstall can make things more efficient because it will wipe those, uh, you know, those things out. Certainly, a nuke and pave can make things a lot more efficient. So it's hard to say, obviously, what, you know, specifically was slowing you down, ADD, Todd. But, um, but yeah, time, time can, time heals all wounds and time slows all computers, I guess. So I don't know. That's my thought. John, what do you think? 
Um, a safe boot is another way that could perhaps speed things up. It clears out some caches. I like that. Yeah. Um, the other thing, uh, I don't know if you did this, but um, Onyx also has a feature that removes lots of caches. And uh, corrupt caches can uh, slow you down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Good question, Todd. I like it. Uh, let's see. Who is next? Brian is next. We will, we will let Brian uh share on his own i believe or at least ask his question on its own hey mac geeks i've been listening to the show for a few months now and i've got a question for you regarding remote access software i'm currently using google's remote desktop to provide remote access to my four macs from my iphone or ipad when i'm away from home i'm finding it to be less than a satisfying experience Years ago, I used Timbuktu, back in the pre-OSX days, for remote access. It was a remarkably bulletproof and reliable solution, even over a dial-up modem. Later on, I was happy with LogMeIn for years. Their web browser access to my home computers was awesome. But they discontinued the free version and the paid version was out of my budget. I switched to TeamViewer and that worked for a while. I don't remember now why I had to quit using them. My journey to after that lead me to Google's remote desktop. I'm finding it to be frustrating, inconsistent, and buggy. So, do you have any recommendations on the best way to access a Mac remotely from an iPhone or iPad? It doesn't have to be a free solution, but of course, free, as in beer, is always good. Thanks, guys. You want to take this one, John? Um, yeah, I don't remote into my network that often but i still have the tools so um so my current solution for this dave is as follows um oh and by the way all of this is free or mostly free all right like part. as in beer <laughs> yes um did you know that apple has a built-in remote or, or a built-in um uh facility to do this dave and pete um settings sharing screen sharing um what this actually is is a vnc server dave and pete um all right and, so and first it, it's activates. system preferences on on the mac not not settings just oh, i'm for, sorry no it's fine just for folks following along at home mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah um so turn on screen sharing then fire up a vnc client which is the protocol it's using now on an ios device i like mocha vnc light okay and we'll link to that and then here's the tricky part well you gotta there you have to get into your network the way i get into my network dave is um to vpn in uh what i use is there's also a a, a vpn client that runs on ios and then i connect it to my synology which offers uh open vpn and then uh you typically have to open a tunnel um, on port 1194 for OpenVPN. And then I use the OpenVPN Connect app. Sure. Okay. And it works the for Connect me. app for, for iPhone, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's a lot. It's free. Mm -mm. Well, it's free if you have that OpenVPN 
uh, server in your on your network somewhere. You've got it on your disk station. Somebody might have it on their Netgear router because Netgear uh, does those. And some routers, of course, have have VPN servers. Uh, for most people, I probably wouldn't recommend this route. I mean, it works. Well, it's just it it's a lot to to set up a and maintain a VPN. Um, and you know, and then you've got to have, you know, it's not native to your DNS. Yeah. None of right. You need to do dynamic DNS so that you can connect. And of of course, none of this is native to the iPhone, which, which stinks. And, and I don't know that there's a path to, to doing this. That is largely because there is no remote access client for the iPhone. If you were trying to connect Mac to Mac, you can even just forget about being remote locally on your network. Screen sharing works Mac to Mac. It's built into the OS. Why this isn't built into iOS or iPad OS even it baffles me, but it's not. So you do need some third party thing and you could use Mocha VNC Lite on your local network uh, without needing to VPN because you're already in. Right. Like the, the VPN just effectively takes your device and puts it in the local network. So the trick is what can we use on an iPhone or an iPad to both connect, you know, do the the remote control and do the tunneling into the network. And the easiest thing would be screens and screens connect. That is a fantastic uh, utility. I've been I use screens locally on my network just to to connect to things from my iPhone and iPad because it's it's just so smooth. And then screens connect is an app that runs on your Mac that syncs with the screen's server. And then you don't have to worry about port forwarding or anything like that. You just use screens and screens connect and it takes care of a hundred percent of all of this for you. And you just get in uh, anytime I travel, I make sure screens connect is running on my Mac in the office just in case there's an issue with my VPN. It's, you know, because, because that geeky stuff can fall apart and, and you know, I'm a, pretty hardcore geek when it comes to this stuff and the last trip i took there was a moment where i needed to get in and my vpn like it wouldn't let me in you know it was just like okay cool this is amazing thanks guys oh, yeah it was a, i had a whole weird problem that we haven't even talked about on the show that I, I won't get into right now but yeah it was like screens connect saved my bacon Oh, that's nice. Well, I, yeah. the question I had also is because it's been years since I've run my Mac Mini as a home server that I've remoted into. I seem to recall there was a setting on there so that if there was a power interruption, it would it would reboot and come back up and be available. So you want to be able to do that, too. Yeah, so that doesn't just turn itself off and stay off. And that. Yeah, that's right. If you go into energy saver uh, schedule, so system preferences, energy saver schedule, uh, you can schedule events for different times of the day or week. And I have my computers uh, set to start up or wake every day at a certain time. So I, I know that at worst I'm out for 24 hours and then it will start up and I have it at like, you know, 4am or 7am or something, depending on what room nice. it's in. But yeah, that's a really good point. That's right. You want that to, uh, you want your computer to, to, to be forced to start up if it's not on. If you're planning right. on remote and then and then not have a password on it or else it's going to be stuck at the password screen and you well, won't be able to get in. Uh, you can have right? a you can have a a user login password. You can't okay. have a file vault password. Right. 
Yeah, because because my computers, yeah. some of them, the one in the office auto logs me in, but the the yeah. one here in the studio doesn't. And so there's many times where I go to, you know, remote in and it's like, hey, type your password, Dave. And I'm like, yeah, no, that if I get that far, I'm in great shape. <laughs> I know that information. Yeah. At least I better. And then at the uh, at the last Mac World, I got a uh, one year subscription to something that I thought was only for emulating other machines, which was Parallels. Oh. And Parallels Desktop is a fabulous remote solution and it's not bad it's 1999 a year interesting for 34.99 for 2 years and they have a client app on for the iPhone and for the iPad and you can and I used it to leave my computer on at home and I could bid on the road I don't have my my bidding software for my monthly schedule is only on a on a laptop or a desktop machine they don't have it or didn't then have it uh, available for iOS devices but Parallels Desktop is a, it, it, it yeah, it's it's like a remote for dummies. Parallels Access, you mean? Parallels Desktop is the. Did I say Access? Desktop? You, you yeah, said yeah, Desktop. Yeah. Yep. I just wanted to make yeah, sure we get that right for the folks listening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Parallels Access, and there's a link in the show notes. Right. Um, but yeah. Cool. Um, yeah that 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 worked cool. really well, and the price is not bad. Twenty bucks a year. Yeah. That's a buck sixty six a month. Yeah, that's not bad. That, that, that and 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 worth it for, for again for just the the headache free way of just getting in without having to poke holes in your firewall and worry about you know things all, too many points of failure right. <laughs> so, but, yeah, but the geeky way that John came up with hmm. is far more satisfying. There's no doubt. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the, and the geeky <laughs> oh, way I can is. Do this. Is my yeah. default as well. I VPN into yeah. my network and I, you know, and I use, yeah. uh, you know, I, he uses, you use Mocha VNC, John, I use screens, but like it, it's, I, I VPN in except when the VPN for whatever reason isn't working. So yeah. 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 Fascinating. Brian's, uh, Brian's voice. You can go back and listen. Was brought to you by Veritone's Marvel.ai. We uh, we're experimenting with this. You know, we're always reading unless you call in to uh, oh, I, I was going to say the old number, which we don't have anymore. And I'm super bummed about you can call into two, two, four, eight, eight, eight geek, which uh, John, I think, is uh, what is geek Four four three three five. That's it. Yes. Uh, so you can call into two, two, four, eight, eight, eight geek and leave us a voicemail. You can use the app, uh, the Mac Geek app, iOS app to. Uh, record a message and send that to us. But unless you've done one of those two things, you're hearing us read your message. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if it wasn't us reading your text messages? And so this week we experimented a little bit. So, it was, you know, it's fun. I thought that voice was pretty good. That was the, uh, I think they call that the Gary voice in the Veritone Marvel. That sounded yeah. really good. Right? Yeah. 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 And there's some tweaking that you can do with like, speed and pacing and uh so you know it's it's fun yeah, it's it's geeky it's, it's you know keeps it interesting all right uh should we go to lewis yeah all right lewis i am going to read lewis says i've got a very large photos library uh 561 gigs with 88,000 photos and 1400 videos i ran photo sweeper last month to try to get a handle on my duplicate photo situation it freed up about 10 gigs 
I noticed a very sentimental photo was missing several weeks ago. And he did. He shared this photo. It's a photo of, of Lewis working with Fred Rogers uh, on an episode of his show at one point. Uh, he says, luckily, I still had a clone of the drive that I made before I ran Photo Sweeper. I was able to locate and restore several missing photos from that day. Now I'm worrying about how many other potentially important photos I may have inadvertently deleted. I've added many photos since running Photo Sweeper, both from my phone and my scans. So I'm not sure it makes sense to just revert to the old library. To add complication, I changed the dates on many of the scan photos to reflect when they were originally taken. That means I can't just export photos added after a certain date. I am using iCloud Photos, if that helps, and store the originals locally on my iMac. And I run Time Machine on my boot drive in addition to cloning, but my photos are stored on an external SSD that isn't backed up by that. I'm looking for some kind of tool to compare the two libraries and see what's missing. Any ideas? Yeah, so my the first thing, I, I'm thinking about this as he's created a scenario where, for whatever reason, we know his specific reason, but many of us might run into this scenario. You want to merge two libraries that may, and in his case, almost certainly have duplicates, right? And the thing that I have used to do that time and again is Power Photos from Fat Cat Software. Uh, it does a fantastic job of exactly this. You, you point multiple photo libraries at it and it will scour through them, do the comparing and figure out. What photos are in both places, what are not, and give you a, a great interface to really kind of choose like, yeah, I want this one. I don't want that one. And 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 then you're good to go. So that's if I were, you know, most of the way we answer these questions for you, unless we happen to have been through this scenario ourselves exactly. Uh, and I haven't exactly, but I've been close. But most of it is what would we do next? If we were there, might not be the end all be all, but the next thing I would try for you, Lewis, is power photos. And I think that might be the end all be all, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I've actually got an idea for one that I use. Yeah. Similar. Uh, it does a similar sort of thing. And that's called Delta Walker. Have you ever used that, Dave? No, I don't even I don't even know what Delta Del Walker is. Delta Walker is a program that uh, you grab two files. It, 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 well, it. Let me back up. It can go from, I think, $39, an $59 option and an $89 option. I think the $89 option and the $59 option allow you to compare three separate folders at any wow. given time. But the $39 version allows you to compare any two folders and then make them identical. Yeah. You can say, hey, take all these that you see over here but aren't in this folder and, and push them over into it. Will it specifically um, do photos? I think so, but and right. here's here's the danger, man. I would have a backup, which is oh, yeah. what it, on any of these. Uh, with if you right click and show package contents uh, on your on your you uh, on your photo what's library, really in that package, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and so you could do that and tell it, okay, show package contents on both of those folders, and then get them to and tell Delta Walker, hey, compare these, because you can drop and drag the folders you want into the top of Delta Walker. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Is so. Delta Walker new? Like I've had it for years. Oh, no, they, they have an Apple Silicon version. Okay, the, the website yeah. said copyright 2019, so I was just a little oh, okay. concerned uh, 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 that we were, you know, pointing people to something that didn't actually exist, oh, yeah, but, yeah. but no, it totally yeah. exists. It's, it's, um, 
it, it's, you know, it'll, it's got an Apple Silicon version. So clearly it's, it's been updated well since 2019. Yeah. Right. And it, it does some neat stuff. Like I say, if you pay the $89 version, there's, there's almost nothing you can't do with it as far as multiple folders and multiple machines and users. And Amazing. Um, I've actually used it comparing a folder that I had on my Synology drive compared to what I had on my, oh wow on my laptop. So it'll do it across your network drive too. Huh, I wonder if it's using rsync to do this. Rsync is That's a what it is. a a Unix <laughs> command yeah. uh, that yeah. that that will compare and sync to folders. So I, it's and and you can have it go bidirectional or unidirectional. Um, yeah. I I don't I don't think Super Duper or Carbon Copy cloners still use rsync, but they might. But I think at least one of them did use it in their original versions. I mean, because it's, you know, it's right there. It's on your Mac. But yeah, this Delta Walker has seen two updates just in 2022 alone. So including one uh, a week ago. So yeah, we're, we're, we're good recommending it. That's great. I don't remember where I initially got it, but it was, it was one of those early utilities that I found like, uh, yeah, uh, Gemini, Delta Walker, clean my Mac, you know, some of those are really powerful. Yep. Yep. Interesting. 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 Hey, so we've talked on this show a few times about all of us that are using Google's uh, grandfathered free email for a lot of things. Uh, You could certainly use it for a business, but uh, there were many of us who were using it for our personal domains and then earlier or maybe still are using it for our personal domains. And then earlier this year, we got the note. The note that said your free time has ended. They they ended new subscriptions to this program 10 years ago. And for the last 10 years, they've just let those of us that had them stay grandfathered in. And it was fantastic. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. We use it for for Backbeat. We use it for we used it for Mac Observer. We use it for Mac Geekab. And then I use it for my my personal domains, too. And those days, at least to be used freely, are coming to an end. So the question is what to do. And when this first came out, we sort of I my advice to myself and I shared this with all of you was uh, pump the brakes here. They aren't going to be making any of these changes until June or July at the earliest. So let's see how things evolve based on the feedback that they are almost certainly going to get and that they were soliciting up until the beginning of this month from uh, all of us. And so we did. We submitted our feedback and now we know some more details. So Google Workspace, there are two things. Google is offering a free uh, version of this, but it doesn't include email. It just includes like docs and, and those sorts of things. So not entirely helpful for some, I'm sure. Not, in, not at all helpful for those of us that need to figure out what to do with our email. The, for, the, for the email, they have announced pricing and it is zero dollars. For the first six months. Now, this is zero dollars per user per month. I realize if it's zero dollars for anything, it doesn't matter what you multiply it by. But bear with me, because this is where the pricing gets in. In in Google's uh, email setup, you can have users which have separate individual accounts that they log into IMAP addresses, storage, all of that good stuff with the free one. You have 15 gigs of storage per account. And then you have groups which are effectively forwards, right? You know, so for a, a quite some time, our feedback at MacGeekGab.com was just a group that went to 
uh, two of us and then the three of us. The groups got a little weird with forwarding and some things weren't getting through. So we then made those actual accounts and then things, you know, and then just did some forwards from there. Uh, so you could look at this and, and sort of try to narrow down the number of actual accounts you need and then forward into those uh, from other things, which might be able to save you because after the first six months, it is what Google is calling half price. And that is six dollars per user per month. That still gets pretty expensive, right? Because, you know, you're looking at what, 72 bucks a year for, uh, you know, per user. There are other email services, and we'll talk about some of them in a minute here, that are certainly less expensive than that. But the, the, the lack of friction of just being able to say, oh, sure, yeah, 72 bucks a year per person, great. That, like, problem solved isn't a bad path for some Right. And and certainly we've we've been we've been given a six month, at least six month reprieve looking through the details of this, Pete, because I know you're you're going through this, too. All of the time frames that they listed were were qualified with an at least. So it's zero dollars USD for at least six months in the terms. And then it is half price, six dollars a user a month for at least the next 12 months. So they they are trying to find a path here where they can uh, offer something that's actually competitive, which at the moment I'm not convinced they're they're hitting. You do get two terabytes of cloud storage per user now with that 72 bucks a year. So that's not a bad thing. Like you could use hyper backup, I think hyper backup on your Synology to backup to a Google Drive. And if you got two terabytes out there like this now could become like, wait a minute, if I use my storage and all of this uh, wisely, then maybe there is a, a a cost savings by canceling something else. You know, if you're paying, you know, something like Backblaze or somebody one terabyte. OK, well, maybe, you know, you turn that off and you pay this and you get your email and your storage and you use, you know, ARC, ARQ from uh from Haystack software on your Mac to do your backups to Google drive, which I think it'll do like, like there's, there's a path here where this makes a lot of sense. And I think Google's trying to make that argument for us to us. Who knows? I don't know. I, yeah, it's still, yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm a cheap pilot. So I'm going to tell you that right up front. Um, I don't mind the 72 bucks a year for myself and two terabytes is great. But for instance, my wife, I have her on a four gigabyte a month phone plan. She might use half of that when she's really grinding out that data. Sure. So, right. Ooh, terabytes for her. She, you know, yeah, she's never going to use it in the mail and all that. So I wish, you know, my curiosity goes to, you know, what do we do? Are, are is users like me really that much of a cost center to them? I, I, we're not that's the thing yeah, it like yeah. this I, I get that they need to they need to solve this this monetize free, it they need to monetize yeah. it they you know they've sure. been carrying us for a very long time and my my guess is through this they are looking potentially for a few things one is to just weed out the cheapskates right and 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 also find but also find the businesses that happened to get in on this when it was free and didn't need more than free and say, okay, uh, this is no longer free. Is it worth it for your business to pay 72 bucks per, you know, per user, per employee, per month or whatever, or per year, sorry, not per month. And, and maybe, you know, maybe there's a, 
maybe there's a like I think they're they need to learn and they can't learn it with the current scenario. So, I, you know, I get it. Uh, there's a couple that we have talked about on this show that might work and that came from you, our listeners. The first is P.O. Box, a couple of replacements or potential replacements. The first is P.O. Box dot com. So uh, box. Po box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from the po box. <laughs> and and where it gets interesting is, you know, you can pay 50 bucks a year and you get a, an actual mailbox and forwarding. You can forward up to five different destinations using your own domain. You get outgoing SMTP access, which is super important because you're going to want to be able to uh, see, you, you, you know, you're going to want to be able to send email from your custom domain, right? But this is your mailbox. You can send and receive here. You get your vacation auto replies, filters, webmail, IMAP and pop access, and 50 gigs of storage, which for email is is a lot. It's not two terabytes, though. So $22 a year yeah. more, right? But so that's 50 bucks a year. If we go to the cheapest pricing for P.O. Box, and there is a, a middle ground, but for just $20 a year, you get forwarding only, and you can forward up to five destinations, but you can use your own domain, and you still get outgoing SMTP access. So there is a world where you go sign up for a free Gmail account, not a Gmail account with your custom domain, but just a free Gmail account. You get your 15 gigs. You use P.O. Box to be the front door that your email comes to for your, you know, me at mydomain.com. Behind the scenes, that forwards to your Gmail, and then you can send from a free Gmail account through your custom domain if that custom domain has an SMTP server. And guess what P.O. Box offers? An SMTP server, right? So for 20 bucks a year per user, you could do this uh, with P.O. Box.com. So there is that path. It's a little geeky, right? You've got to, you know set things up and, and link all the things together and get the thigh bone connected to the head bone and whatever's in between, but it's doable and it saves you some money. That's path number one. And I, I think probably the one of the better paths, then there's forward email, uh, dot net. I want to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That also, and th these all come from you. I, I didn't find any of these. Uh, these are, these are all from you folks and I've collected them as you've sent them in. The pricing for that is free or you get enhanced protection for three bucks a month. So $36 a year, but you do get uh, custom domains, unlimited email addresses, unlimited disposable email addresses. Uh, I don't know that they offer an SMTP server. I think it's just inbound forwarding, but they might offer SMTP. I don't see SMTP on their FAQ well, on, on that page. Let's look at uh, the FAQ. How to send mail as using Gmail. Yeah. All right. So evidently there is a path to using this. Um, there, there may be a path for, for them to use SMTP with, with uh, forward email. So maybe that's, maybe that's the truly free option. Um, so, yeah, the hard part I see with both of those, Dave, is saving what you have now already in the Google domains. That's a fair question. So it's it's not as bad as you would think there, there are. And, and, and I will offer the third option is uh, I I'm super tempted to do this, but I, I need you guys to continue to talk me off the ledge, please. 
is I don't could, run your own server, man. Correct. Don't do it. <laughs> I, well, Synology's new, uh, like the the new mail server, the new version of Synology mail server that's coming with DSM seven one is like it is. It literally has been built for people in this scenario. It will auto slurp in all of your mail and and essentially replicate your Gmail config locally and data locally. I haven't tried it, so I, I'm sure that I'm yeah. sure it's not quite as simple as I'm saying, but it, it is built to do this. And then you could just run your own mail server. I, I'm Please talk me off the ledge on this, guys. Um, I'm almost certainly going to wind up being stupid and doing it with at least one of my, you know, less important domains, because that way, at least we can talk about it on the show. So that's how I'm. Well, what about your spam it. filter? Uh, well, you can Synology doing that for you. It's your Synology doing your spam filtering for you. Yeah. Okay. But now you're, now you're inviting the world to your doorstep and some ISPs will not let you do this. They block inbound access on that. I think consolidate. Yeah. I think Comcast Xfinity does block it. I, most cable companies block it. I believe consolidated, which is the fiber provider I use. They don't block anything. They don't, they truly don't care. They're just like, here's a connection. We don't know how much data you're using. Enjoy, you know, which is awesome. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, right. So, but if you don't have, and, and like also to be fair, like I'm using fast mail with my, um, my, my purse. Well, I'd say it's my personal domain. It's really not everything that I do comes into fast mail. Uh, and so I am using fast mail as my primary and fast mails pricing is uh, five bucks a month. So I, you know, right in, in that same realm, when I moved from Gmail to fast mail a few years ago, I gave them my Gmail credentials for that account and went to sleep. And when I woke up, all my mail was over. So they also have the importers. So b- bear that in mind that some of these and PO box might have that too. Uh, I have been super happy with, with fast mail, by the way. And so it, you know, at five bucks a month, 60 bucks a year, maybe, you know, it's another, right. That is 60 bucks a year from doing the math. Right. So, yeah, but it looks like they have annual prices too, which may be cheaper. Correct. I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's 50 bucks a year if you pay annually. So there yeah. you go. Nice catch Pete. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so here's a little trick. Yep. That I use. Um, Yahoo email. They give you a terabyte of storage. Ooh. So what I do, and I just check my account and I'm using like 1% of it. But what I do is I'll take the mail that comes into my inbox and then I'll have rules. And then I put them over on Yahoo because they give me a terabyte of space rather than storing it in iCloud or, or, uh, or Google. Interesting. But you can't, you can't do custom domains with Yahoo. So this would be yet another, this would be like your forward destination, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Or I use rules to, yeah, reroute my mail. Yeah. Yeah. You just forward it over. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. Boy, it's been more than 25 years, but I, I think Yahoo may offer something where you can use your own domain. That would be. I don't remember. Yeah. Yahoo mail custom domain. Uh, Ah, Right. I mean, why not? How to, let's see. Yahoo ad, ad free email and a whole lot. You're more with uh, Yahoo mail plus. Five bucks a month, and you get. Is there a custom domain here? I don't see it. Yeah, uh, head to toe customization. Uh, I don't know about your own domain. 
Oh, yeah. I said, oh, yeah. Uh, dom- no, domain blocking. <laughs> oh. They might have it. It it might, it, like, it might be here. I'm just not finding it as we're, as I'm searching while we're talking here. But, um, yeah, interesting. All right. That's good to know. Huh? Interesting. 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 Um, it, but as far as let's say you go with one of one service that for whatever reason doesn't have the ability to import mail, it's really not the most terrible thing. It depends on how many mailboxes you have, but you can connect mail like mail on your Mac to both IMAP servers and then uh, take the, con- you know, select all in the inbox from old server and move it or or copy it. I would say don't don't move. There's no reason to cause deletes to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. But copy that to the new server, and then do the same with your sent box. If you're only using one archive box, then your life starts to get really easy because you only have three or four mailboxes with which to do this. If you're using lots of different things, well, you might want to you know. But if you're coming from Gmail, even if you use multiple boxes. It really is just one archive box, right? Because like, Gmail IMAP boxes are just filters. So everything theoretically would be in all mail or, or archive. So there, there's probably a way of doing this that's not too terrible coming from Gmail. Dave, do your kids, they're remote. Do they use the Hamilton family? Uh, no. Email? No. no. Okay. And that's because. See, my kids do. And that's going to be tough to get them all switched over it, it, if it, I were to. It, it's not as bad as you might think, because okay. um, my well, the reason my kids don't use a, you know, Hamilton, whatever email address is because uh, they used MacObserver.com email addresses. And, and we thought that would be great because that domain existed before they did. And that domain will continue to exist. It's just not mine anymore. So uh, we had to move all their email over, which was great. And mine, too, obviously. But, yeah, they were they were when I told them, I'm like, yeah, like last fall. And I'm like, I think this sale might actually happen. And they're like, oh, that sounds great. And it's just like Thanksgiving or whatever. And we were having Thanksgiving dinner. And like, Do it when they're home. Right. And no, no, we were actually out in Portland when I like when I I mean, they, they knew that like the, things were bubbling, you know, but it was like over Thanksgiving. It was like, well, this I think this is going to happen. And they were like, oh, that's that's exciting. I'm like, yeah, it means you guys are going to have to change your email. And they were like, so are you sure you really want to go through with this? <laughs> uh, but it has been mostly great for them because each of them moved to their own domains, which I bought my kids their own domains like when they were born or something. Uh, they moved to their own domains uh, via iCloud. And we already pay for that. We're already paying for iCloud storage. Right. So the iCloud custom domain thing is spectacular. The only. Both my kids have their own domains. I completely forgot about that. See, there you go. There you go. But the the issue is, and the reason I can't do it with, uh, like we couldn't do it with, with Mac Geek Gab is because of that feedback at address, right? You can't have one address come in and go to multiple people. Uh, with with iCloud right now. And and I tried doing it with Cloudflare, which offers email forwarding, but they have the same issue that you can't do uh, one or they did. I haven't checked it that because that would start to open up doors here. If we could if we could do all the routing at the Cloudflare level, I could figure out the rest. But um, but they, they weren't allowing that either. So anyway, that's um, that's where the fun comes in. So, yeah. Long conversation, but 
Uh, one that I know is relevant yeah. to lots and yeah, lots of folks one. out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still looking at my domain registrar too. They hover offers it for twenty nine a year. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, right. That's the other thing is look at your domain registrar. They may offer you less expensive email on your custom domain than uh, than you can get anywhere else. So yeah, that's right. you're right. Yeah, that's the other way to do it. That's the other way to do it. Uh, we have a little bit of time left, John, you want to, you want to do this thing from David here and, and like, just talk through some of the, uh, some of this, it's kind of a weird geeky one. I don't know. I don't know if it's actually going to go anywhere, but sure. See what happens. It could, um, there it is. Um, a client of mine sent me this and I'm like, WTF. <laughs> Did he mean what's that font? Yes, yes, okay. I'm sure that's what he meant. <laughs> um, Facebook.com slash Facebook dash Wi-Fi. Have you seen this? It literally wants me to set up his Unify routers to connect to Facebook and Instagram. Who in their right mind would do this? <laughs> Thoughts? Um, I looked through it. I'm not sure of the exact mechanics of how you enable it i don't think my router would support it um but uh, there are privacy concerns with letting any third party inject something into your data stream uh but i can see the value if you offer a wi-fi hotspot and want to afford your users the convenience of linking with facebook or instagram to say hey i'm here or hey i like this place or here's a picture of my food <laughs> right <laughs> um personally i i use uh, something similar dave uh so there's a, a system called Foursquare, and they have a client called Swarm, uh, and you can check into places. And every now and then, um, you may get an email or a query uh, or, or notification saying, hey, what would you think of this place? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Wait, Foursquare, so, um, Foursquare has a Wi-Fi thing with businesses? No, no, no. They, they, have, a, a, they have an app. Right. Foursquare has an app and then they have a, a companion. No, app. I know, but this is this is like your business is offering Wi-Fi, but you you authenticate with Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so it it takes the, the headache out of it. This isn't about checking in. This is about using right. the Wi-Fi at a business. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but it, but it will show people like your you know, it, it does help promote your business in in that way. Yeah. The the mechanics of it are it looks to be router specific if i go into like the instructions for a netgear router you uh, enable a guest network and then in the advanced setup there is a facebook wi-fi tab evidently and it looks like that's the case for any supported router so it doesn't seem to be a way of um of just doing this on any router your router specifically needs to have Facebook Wi-Fi uh, support, but it looks like a lot of them do. And it, and then you're just authenticating with Facebook. So you're, you're logging these people in probably capturing who was there. And like you said, yeah, maybe, you know, that maybe that's what you're trying to say that, you know, they, you, you could, you, you as the business owner would then know, okay, I had these people here. Let's, you know, let's see what they chose to share with us and, and go from there. That's interesting. I haven't run into any businesses that have this. And it seems like it's a thing. Huh. Yeah, I haven't either. Although, when I'm out and about, I'm typically on my uh, ISP's Wi-Fi. So, sure. 
I'll have to uh, look around. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because it will cause it will increase the the stickiness and it'll it'll, you know, gives people once you once you connect, it says, hey, you should check in here, you know. So, ah, that's interesting. Very interesting. I, I you know, I don't I, I mean, I don't think there's it looks like you have the option to skip that check in based on the, the Facebook page. You know, you can you connect to the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. It comes up and says check in at whatever. And then you can, but then you can say, no, 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 skip the check in. I don't want people to know I was here. So that's not terrible. I think that's pretty good. Huh? I don't know. Well, let us know what you think. Feedback at uh, MacGeekGab.com. We'd love to. Uh, Wait, where? Feedback at MacGeekGab.com? Yeah. I think he said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's what we said. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fun stuff. We didn't get to any cool stuff found today, but that's uh, that's okay. We've got some good stuff, though, in the queue. We will Maybe we'll start with cool stuff found next week and plow through some of that. And Those shows get expensive. I, you know, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the list of cool stuff found, and at first I was like, oh no no no, and then I'm like, oh actually you're you're right, Pete. They this one this one will also be expensive, but not terribly. But there's some cool things that we found that right? we want to tell tell you about. That's that's the beauty of it. They aren't meant to be expensive. They are just it's a byproduct because we're excited about things, and so we tell you it's just how it is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's what we got. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Um, make sure to check out that Discord channel, MacGeekUp.com slash Discord. And then, uh, and we're going to be doing more things with it. Right now, there is literally one channel. Like I said, we might have a live stream channel to talk about. We might wind up having, if there's a lot of like Q&A there, separate from just the general discussion, we might have a you know tech support kind of channel or a cool stuff found channel. I, I don't want to overdo it and force some structure on us all that we're not going to use. So I'd rather have it organically kind of grow. And as we see that things are getting too crowded, all right, well, we'll break that off and, and, you know, compartmentalize some of that there. So but go check it out. And my apologies to people that are there today. I was not very good about checking for comments that may have been relevant to the show. So. It's the first time we're getting there. We're figuring yeah. it out. Yeah. But you know that I'm, I, I have been enjoying the heck out of it this week. Just having our community, and you know, like when I had that thing with my uh, with my um, my drive in the Synology, I yeah. put it in there, and we had a nice little conversation that wasn't like lost in in Twitter mania. It was just you know we could all see each other's replies and and talk like like humans, and you know we yeah. could do things like a a group hangout in there sometime like maybe you know maybe we'll do some i don't know we'll pick some some day of the week we'll have the mac geek cocktail party or something i don't know just there you go. hang out and it won't be a show it'll just be us hanging out you know there you go yeah so it'll i, I think we're gonna have some fun with this so make sure to join macgeekup.com slash discord they make it pretty easy to get in there i think i hope all right uh that's it you guys have anything else to share with them before we before we pull the plug on this thing no huh nope Getting thanks for having me back. Oh man, well, dude, it's like, yeah, it's it. You make the you 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 round out the show, my friend. It's it's, it takes you calling me fat. Uh, (laughs) Didn't say that. (laughs) Sure, it didn't. Yeah, sure, it didn't. Yeah. (laughs) 
No, it was, it was fun. But, yeah. And I only lost audio on you twice. There was hey. one point in there I lost you for about 45 seconds. So I went, I'll just nod and smile. There you go. That, and then <laughs> it just, back. and just magically. So that's got to be yeah. something with StreamYard and, and hotel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fast, but, but you didn't lose video or you did? No, no, not once. Video has been rock solid the entire time. So I wonder. Audio was first to go, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. All right, I'm going to think about that. I have a I have a trip to the uh, flotation tank scheduled for this afternoon. So you, clearly now I know what will be distracting me for the first 15 minutes in the tank <laughs> is why would that happen? Yeah, I signed up for a membership at the uh, at the float place around the corner from us here. So not around the corner, but local to us here. So that way I'm doing it at least once. Should I sit over in Maine? No, uh, actually there's it's it's uh, it's seacoastfloat.com. I think it's. Um, it might be F-L-O-T-E dot com. But uh, it is, um, there's one in Portsmouth and one in uh, Hampton. And so I go to, I go to Very either cool. one. Yeah, I hear that's awesome. I've never great. done it. But. I recommend it. I highly recommend it. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do for myself. So, do you sleep? What's that? Do you fall asleep? Rarely, but but it has happened. I spend an yeah. hour, it's either 60 or 90 minutes in the tank. Yeah. Okay. No, most of the time I'm like super wide awake. For the first some indeterminate period of time for me anyway i wind up being distracted by all the things that you know that happen like and i just i just do breath meditation just breathe in and out and that's it and i i notice these things but i don't obsess about them i just like okay here there's that thought there's that thought there's that thought and then eventually because you're not getting any sensory input uh, because you're in the, you're not sense you're not deprived of your senses you are deprived of input to your senses so sensory deprivation tank is a great term slightly wrong but uh, you're distri- you're deprived of input to your senses and and then I get if I'm lucky I get to the period of what I call clear thought where I have no thoughts but I'm hyper aware oh it's dude it's super yeah it's good very very it's a very good way to sort of decompress it's it's good. So anyway, now the show's run long. Hang out with us. MacGeekUp.com slash Discord. Make sure to check out our sponsors at MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors, including the three we mentioned in the show, Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com, Collide.com slash MGG at KOLIDE.com slash MGG, and Truebill.com slash MGG. Start saving money and let them do it for you. It's great. Hey, uh, John, you got us into this mess. Pete, you want to get us out? Got anything if I to only say? knew the French word for caught, nespaget, cut. don't get caught. Made up. <laughs>